All right, before we go any further, I need to tell you guys about our wonderful partner here at Love of the Star. It is Boomer Jacks. I keep telling you about Boomer Jacks. Brian keeps telling you about Boomer Jacks. You guys keep telling us about Boomer Jacks. I go on my social media and I look and I see and you guys are, are routinely tagging us in these photos of you hanging out, drinking an ice cold beer, having some of the tableside s'mores, getting the pepperoni flatbread, whatever. You guys are out at Boomer Jacks just as much as we are and we love to see it. And let me tell you, if you haven't gone to Boomer Jacks yet, I know the days that you're going to want to go if you're a wings lover. Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Tuesdays are half-price bone-in wings. Wednesdays are half-price boneless wings. But they have deals for you the rest of the week as well. As I mentioned, they have ice-cold beer, $15 buckets of beer, drink specials starting at $3, and there are wall-to-wall TVs. And when I say wall-to-wall TVs, you think I mean there are a lot of TVs. No, I mean there are literally TVs covering just about every inch of the wall. It's that extreme, uh, but in a good way. So uh, head on over to Boomer Jacks for whatever you're looking for. If you need somewhere to watch the game, somewhere to have dinner with the family, happy hour with coworkers, whatever it is, Boomer Jacks is the spot. There's 17 DFW locations. You can find yours by going to boomerjacks.com. That's boomerjacks.com. All right, Brian, uh, outside of this game, there's already a lot of looking forward, I think, um, to the uh, the the playoffs, because I think a lot of people have already written off the division as, look, that's unlikely. Um, the, 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 and, and it's not impossible, you, as, as we know. Um, but I, I think the likeliest scenario everybody agrees would probably be that you'll, you'll get Tampa Bay. It's not a slam dunk, but, but that's kind of the outlook, I think. So you've already got fans. Uh, we got a lot of questions today about Tampa Bay in the mailbag. You, you've got fans looking ahead, asking about, hey, how do you fix this and that over these next two weeks? Maybe use these as, as preseason games of sorts. But I think there's a question here about a couple of positions and stabilizing what the rotation is and, and what it is that they want to do uh, heading into the playoffs. And so, Brian, uh, let's take a look at the couple of rotations that I think they still have to establish. Um, let's start with right tackle. Now, I, I don't believe there's much of a rotation there anymore. I think that's Tyron Smith's job. Um, Jason Peters played it. Uh, about a third of the time against Jacksonville. Um, But ultimately, this past week, it was all Tyron Smith, despite Jerry Jones and I think Mike McCarthy even saying, hey, there's probably going to be some additional rotation still. Is that a a position that you think is settled at this point? And we didn't get a chance to talk before you saw the film. So now that you've seen the film, how do you think Tyron played in that second week at right tackle? I think he was just really okay. Uh, I don't think it was... uh... I know there was some time in uh, pass protection where he was off balance. His footwork was a little off for him. Hand placement was a little poor. I, I think I, I think Hassan Reddick, he he might be the best defensive player they have for the Eagles. I, I know, and they got a lot of really good ones. But when you watch Hassan Reddick play, he gave Tyron Smith some fits. And – so I think with Tyron, it's no more rotation. It's now it's about every rep that he can get at right tackle, keep giving it to him. You know, if you want to put Jason Peters like they did on the goal line, heavy formation next to Tyron Smith, blast everything down inside and run the ball off the edge for a touchdown like they did, I'm all for that. If you want to do that in some short yardage stuff, I'm all for that. Every rep that Tyron Smith gets at right tackle is a good rep for him. So no more no more rotation over there at right tackle at all. If Tyron Smith were to go down, we know his injury history, things like that. But if he were to go down, um, you know, Jason Peters looked okay on the final drive against Houston, struggled against Jacksonville. 
Would you prefer Peters just stay on the left side and go out there with Josh Ball if you need to, or would that be Peters for you if if right tackle came open again? I would rather lose and die on that hill with a Hall of Fame offensive lineman there. You've already shown the willingness to move uh, a Hall of Fame left tackle to right tackle. Uh, I would be willing to to do the same thing again. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let my playoff aspirations die with Josh Ball. Now, if there's a way to incorporate him to give Peters a rest, the problem is Peters is a 40-year-old man right. playing, a, playing a violent game. And for one series, he was really, really good. In the Jacksonville game, you mentioned it. There were some struggles there. So to me, I am going the route of – I'm going the route I'm going to die on that hill with Jason Peters at right tackle if that's the case. Next question here, not so much a rotation, but maybe a level of involvement. Um, And that's with T.Y. Hilton, who had a a couple of big plays, impactful plays um, against uh, against Philly this past week. He drew the the savvy penalty on uh, Darius Slay. And uh, then he he beat Slay and and beat the safety over the top uh, on that go route for the big third and 30 conversion. Uh, Given the limited amount that you saw of him, uh, do you think it looks as though, hey, I, I think you can get more out of him, or do you think his role here is pretty much just a spot player, somebody to come in, be a fourth receiver, and stretch the field occasionally? No, you could get something out of him. This cat's ready to play. This guy's ready to go out and make plays. I mean, the, the route running, the quickness, the experience, get him on the field as much as you can. You know, it bunch formations. It doesn't have to be third down, you know, First, second down, you know, find ways that find ways to get him on the field. He's a smart guy. He's going to know what you're doing. He's going to make big plays. We saw it the other day. He's on the field twice and he makes two of the biggest plays, a fourth and seven and a third and 30. Come on. And this guy, this guy was born to play in the NFL. He has for a long time at a very high level. It's very much similar to what you have with probably with Odell Beckham. Those guys are born to play in big moments and big games. And, you know, T.Y. Hilton probably not had the the overall success that maybe an Odell Beckham has. But, man, I'll tell you what, there's some times where he has lit some defenses up. And if you're going to catch lightning in a bottle, like my, my scouting buddies like to say, this might be the great opportunity to do it with him. I get him as involved as much. If that means taking Noah Brown off the field or whoever you have to take off the field to, to get him involved, by all means, give it a go. Now, he played 12 snaps on offense. Uh, I know you went back and, and watched the tape. On, on, on the reps where he wasn't targeted, did you notice if he was out there as a, a decoy at times or, or were there times where he was, was – did he look like he was running the full route tree or were they basically sending him out there to, to go downfield? I think they were – I think that, to me, I didn't – you know, I don't know what their full route tree is for play calls and stuff. And so it's kind of – you're saying, well – you know, you kind of assume that he's doing what he's, he's supposed to do with his job. But I I think there were some opportunities to target him a little bit more. But, man, you got guys like, you know, with CD, the way he was playing and stuff like that. You know, it's it's hard not to get him or Schultz, those guys. You know, there's just that little bit of trust. But <laughs> talk about trust, throwing a ball to a guy on third and 30 and like throwing a ball to a guy on fourth and seven, and he comes up big. I think that the plays that he's going to get, the opportunities he's going to get, 
if it's 12 plays, 15 plays, you know, we could very well see four to five targets in those opportunities or more with the way he plays. Uh, you know, just watching him run routes, the quickness, it, it's, it's all still there in front of him. That is not a slow or sluggish, sluggish player that's kind of just hanging on and hoping to make a play. That guy legitimately can go make plays for you. Now, who does that come at the expense of? Does that come at the expense? Do you I think? Don't of, but, but, I don't but care. But but would you would you like? Are there certain four times where you're okay with like if it's two receiver set? Are you okay with Lamb and Hilton out there? Are you are you, are sure. you okay with Hilton sure. pulling Gallup off the field? Because obviously sure. you wouldn't want him to take CD off the field unless we're talking no. about you know potentially max protect thirteen personnel well, type of looks where he's just out hey, there to run the flyer out. They took CD off the field on the third and third, uh, the third and thirty. Yep, he wasn't he wasn't on the field. They, they put Turpin on the field to try. I mean, they're trying to they were trying to complete the play. I mean, that's kind of like Dak Prescott. The uh, you know, I hey, I'm I'm never going to die on a play here. I'm just going to keep doing it. So I I kind of feel like though, to me, I I get it. They need to get Michael Gallup going some way somehow, but you're also talking about a guy that we saw, like say the other day, and who has a history of making huge plays. It, it means one or two, three less reps for Gallup, but they turn into one or two catches. By all means, do what you have to do. You know, I, I was looking up something interesting this week in regards to Michael Gallup. Um, he has 412 targets in his career now. He got in the NFL in 2018. Um, since 2018, Brian, there are 55 players, some of them backs and tight ends too, um, but 55 players with at least 350 targets. Out of those 55, during that five-year stretch, Michael Gallup's 55.3% catch percentage for his career is the worst of them all. Is yeah. that a the, – the fact that Michael Gallup hasn't had a, a 60% uh, catch percentage year yet, is that about – connection with Prescott is that about they generally are running him on deeper routes that are going to be uh you know lower percentage completion type of throws uh or, or is there just something amiss in Michael Gallup's game that that's making him a little inefficient I think the thing I think with Michael Gallup that I don't think he's the cleanest receiver when it comes to catching the football I think there is some time, and I'm not talking about a ball thrown in the sun and stuff like that. I I don't know if it's always just very natural for him catching the football. And so when you watch him on misses, when you watch the you know the drops or why does it always look like he's caught between catching the ball with his hands and trying to use his body? Right. There's always there's always that. There's that some of these receivers you see, they look so natural just catching the ball, just out in front, boom, 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 catch the ball. With Gallup, it's like it's contort, it's move, it's body position, it's whatever you have to do. And I I don't know, I don't know if if he makes some brilliant catches, those balls that go up that are vertical balls for him to go get. Yeah. Him to come down with feet and bounce and all that stuff, that touchdown he had the other day. I think the touchdown the other day, by the way, Dak was throwing the ball to Pollard in the back corner of the end zone. Really? And I think Gallup just happened to be there. Because 
If that ball gets through, Bradbury's going to intercept it in the corner of the end zone. But Gallup saved you. Gallup catches the ball, tap, tap, you know, gets gets feet down to touchdown. That's the kind of stuff that Michael Gallup can do. It's maddening to watch him. You're like, I don't see, I've never seen a guy that has that ability to contort and move and catch and and then look so caught in between his technique on a normally thrown pass, you know, like, like a jet low adjust, just at the chest. You know, it's, I think there's, I think there's some, there's some fight in him. I think there's some confidence fight or lack of at times. And I, and that, that knee injury, they could talk about that stuff, but for them not to throw that 50, 50 ball to him down the sidelines, you know, in that Jacksonville game, that probably has to do with him having to go up, him maybe coming down, and something to do with that knee. But he just, at times, he just doesn't look really confident and natural catching the ball. But then there's other times where he makes some of the most brilliant catches you'll ever see. It's a it's a strange thing with him as a wide receiver. Last position here, that or rotation that we really got to figure out, uh, is this idea at corner. Um, and obviously, they, they told us there would be a competition there. They indicated that Kelvin Joseph would be involved in that. Against Philadelphia, he was not involved at all. He had zero snaps uh, on, on the day. And so he he wasn't on defense at all. He had special teams work, but but not much more than that. Uh, Mackenzie Alexander played 14 snaps uh, in the game. Uh, Nashawn Wright played 38. So he got the bulk of the work. Um, in fact, Mackenzie Alexander was in coverage, I think, for uh, of his 14. Only seven of them were in pass coverage. Uh, Nashawn Wright was in 30 coverage snaps. Um, so how did you think Nashawn Wright and Mackenzie Alexander both played? And, and do you think we're going to continue to see rotation and competition? Or do you think given this past weekend, it's going to be, all right, we're rolling with Wright and Bland and Diggs moving forward? Yeah, I think that's, I think they've kind of figured this thing out. Uh, Mackenzie Alexander, uh, we've talked about it a bunch on this podcast. My guys around the league that study tape, watch him and watch him play. He's a slot player. That's his job. That's he's a he's a nice little slot player. But what you figured out by playing right on the outside and bland on the inside, you've got better size. You got your, your team will tackle better. Also, not only I think they cover better, I think they tackle better. Uh, I think that Sean Wright's a really smart kid. I, I think he's got I think he's got some really really good understanding of what he needs to do to be successful. And for him to get the opportunity to do it, I think it's a great thing. But I, 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 I guarantee you going forward, they're going to play Bland on the outside as a starter, and then when they go to nickel, they'll kick Bland inside and bring right on the field. That, 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 is, the best, that is the best combination for the Dallas Cowboys in the secondary right now. Uh, before we move on to the mailbag, I'm just curious here because you mentioned what they're asking of Bland now to be outside, kick inside, do all these different things. How – Different would this season be if they didn't have Deron Bland? Oh, man, seriously, five five interceptions, right? Yeah, yeah. This, I mean, this kid he plays with such an understanding of where he needs to fit. I think very early in the when he got opportunities to play in preseason, he just played, and I think he was, and you saw him in practice, he just played. And then he got an opportunity to play during the regular season. And I'm like, this doesn't look like the same guy because he looked timid, a little like kind of like withdrawn. 
And then all of a sudden, you know, the first interception and things start to click for him a little bit. And then the commander's game. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, I see. And now that 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 positive energy and momentum that he had, technique and all that came back to him after that. He's like, man, maybe I can play in this league. And he has. He, he's been a – got to give the Cowboys a lot of credit. They – I know you know this. They were on him very early, mm-hmm. very, very early about uh, about his ability. And I guarantee you there are a lot of scouts around the country for these NFL teams. You know, their pro guys are going, what did we think of Deron Bland coming out? Where do we have him? And – Obviously, you didn't have him high enough, and so yeah, what a what a really see. Sometimes when you make picks, and Deron Bland, if he, if Deron Bland was the second pick, if he was Kelvin Joseph pick, we'd all be going, "What a great job! Yeah, what a great job by these guys! What a tremendous job by these guys!" And now you're in a situation where you're in a situation where uh, you're like you're looking at. You know, with with Bland being a fifth round guy, you're going, man, what a great pick. But if if Joseph was the fifth and Bland was the second, you'd probably think a lot differently about your about your group. Absolutely, I, I think that that changes the perspective. It, it's funny how those uh, those those labels, your your draft label, change perspective on the level of play that you have. You are listening to the Love of the Star podcast. The Love of the Star is an Odyssey podcast. You can find it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 